Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined on the show by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show, we reflect on the under-20 Africa Cup of Nations with Senegal winning to continue their current dominance in African football. They've invested a lot when you look at the projects with the Generation Food, the project with uh, Majamba. That's coming shortly. Also, we catch up on the CAF Champions League with 10-time champions Al Athli of Egypt in danger of a group stage exit. And we look at Morocco's chances of co-hosting the 2030 FIFA World Cup as they've joined Spain and Portugal's joint bid. And lots too on the English Premier League as we ask whether Liverpool's revival is over already. But first, Gianni Infantino will serve a second term as FIFA president after being re-elected unopposed for another four years on Thursday at the FIFA Congress in Kigali in Rwanda. Infantino has promised more football and more money for national associations and has confirmed that the 2026 World Cup will have groups of four teams rather than of three teams, as was initially proposed. More on this later. But now to the under-20 Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt as Senegal beat the Gambia 2-0 in last weekend's final. Planet Sport Football Africa's reporter in the Gambia, Mamadou Ba, was in Egypt at the tournament. I spoke to him and first asked about the final. Well, I think um, Senegal showed their dominance um, throughout the tournament against their arch rivals, the Gambia, where it took them just six minutes to be in front in a match that um, I think the Gambia didn't turn up. Senegal deserved champions, scored um, from a header when the Gambian goal, goalkeeper missed, misjudged. Um, uh, the flight of the ball, um, Suleiman Fai headed into an unguarded net. The Gambia found it really difficult to put in, to complete um, uh, passes together. But uh, I think Senegal, Senegal were dominant in the second half. Ten minutes into the second half, from from a set piece, a corner, uh, Mamadou Lamine Kamara, who plays for Ares Aberkan in, in Morocco, um, scored another headed goal to seal a victory for Senegal and, of course, secure their first under-20s AFCON title in what was um, a professional performance against their arch-rivals. Senegal deserve to be champions. Gambia didn't turn up. I think, yeah, Senegal Senegal deserve, um, deserve to be champions, winning the trophy without conceding a goal, which is a fantastic feat for Malik Daf's side. And it's a real period of dominance uh, for Senegal, uh, not only the under-20 AFCON champions, but the reigning senior AFCON champions, having won the Chan recently in Algeria, and also the beach soccer AFCON champions too. Uh, what do you think we can expect from Senegal in the next uh, couple of years? For people that know and follow Senegalese football, I think um, it, it is no surprise that Senegal, according to dominating uh, football um, around around the continent because they've invested a lot when you look at the projects with the generation food, the project with uh, Majamba, and when you look at uh, most of the players from the under-20s national team were either from generation food or Jamba. So, and of course, other clubs or, or academies in the country that have invested in making sure that they produce the best players um, within the country. So, so I think um, they are just reaping the benefits of what they've done in the past so I think um, we'll we'll continue to see the dominance continue in in the coming years. Now um, they are in the last qualifying stage for the under 23s Afcon. They will play 
Mali um, next week. Um, they are also in the under-17s. Afcon. They have a fantastic under-17s um, national team. I I watch them at the Wafu A. I'm a quali- I'm a qualifiers. Um, they will be among the favourites um, for the title in um, in Algeria come um, April. So so I think um, for me I think um, Senegal Senegal are just enjoying the benefits of what they've invested. They've invested a lot in their sports and of course football in particular. When the team arrived from the under-20s Afcon triumph, they went straight to the to the head of states, Maki Salvo gave um, presented each member of the delegation 10 million C, um, CFA. Um, so uh, that showed that um, the team, the Senegalese players, and of course various national teams are all motivated to go and and secure titles around the continent in continental championship, knowing that when they come back, um, they'll be rewarded. And and also they are from a settings that um, really um, gave them the platform to be competitive. And of course they are showing that in uh, at the continental stage. Yes, it's an amazing uh, period of success uh, for Senegal. Uh, what about there in the Gambia then? As you say, the final uh, very much uh, uh, went Senegal's way, but I'm sure people there must be really happy with uh, the Gambia finishing runners-up. Yes, um, Gambians are really proud of the performance of the team, um, even though um, naturally disappointed to lose um, at the final, especially losing um, to your arch-rivals and neighbours. So it... It really hurts to um, uh, for for Gambia to lose any any football match or in any sport against Senegal. But um, on the bigger side, I think uh, people pe- people are happy um, how well the team have done given given the resources um, and of course the state of um, football in the country for um, for the under twenties to 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 qualify for a second consecutive Afcon under twenty being. Um, in the final for the very first time, securing a World Cup ticket. It's a great achievement. So um, people hope that um, the team can continue um, its development um, when they do, when they go to the World Cup in Indonesia. And of course, also um, generally football, football development in the country. So people are really, um, are really proud of Abdullah Bojang's team. And of course, hope that um, these youngsters can, can, can continue their football development, maybe um, to go out and play in better leagues and of course, um, be, and, and break into the full senior national team. Yeah, sure. So uh, Senegal and the Gambia qualifying for the under-20 FIFA World Cup later this year, along with the third and fourth place teams, Nigeria and Tunisia. What can we hope for there, Mamadou? I think um, African sides have done predominantly well at the... at the U20s um, World Cup, I remember Gambia 16 years ago in, in 2007. We, in our debut appearance, we went to the last 16 of the tournament. So um, we've seen Ghana um, being African, um, being um, world world champions. I remember um, in in Egypt. So um, the likes of Nigeria have had um, third place finishes here and there. So I think um, the four countries will need to improve their um, their um, their squads at the at the World Cup um, to make sure that um, they have a chance. So fighting, I'm a fighting for the title. So I'm really hopeful um, with what I've seen from Senegal, um, the Gambia's team, also with um, a few improvements. Nigeria, um, they have the history of um, performing well at, at these at these tournaments, and of course, I'm a Tunisia as well. So I'm I'm really hopeful of the uh, African contingent um, that have booked their place at the World Cup um, in Indonesia. Yeah, let's hope so. And uh, just finally, Mamadou, your reflections on the under-20 AFCON uh, in Egypt, uh, the hosting, standard of play and so on? I think um, for me, it's um, having covered the past two editions of, of this tournament in 
2019 and 2021, I think um, I've seen a lot of improvements in terms of um, the hosting. Um, the, um, the facilities were better um, in in Egypt compared to Niger and um, and Mauritania. Um, the style of football as well, as I said um, in the last program, I'm from the first pre-match press conference. All the coaches and players were saying is that they want to book a ticket to. The, um, to the World Cup, which which showed the competitive level, um, even even at this category, um, players and coaches are already looking at the bigger picture. They want to um, showcase their talent at the global level. So so for me that that was really outstanding. Um, and as a Gambian, um, covering any competition which has your your own country going going to the final, it, it is indeed a proud moment. Um, the last tournament we reached um, the semi-finals and won bronze, but this time around, full of emotion, seeing the Gambian national team playing at an Afghan um, final, which which made me really proud. Even though we I mean, we lost to our bitter rivals, but um, I think um, it was indeed uh, the highlight for me um, covering Gambia playing at an Afghan final. Speaking there to Mamadou Ba in the Gambia. Mamadou was at the Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt. We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to the CAF Champions League, match day five of the group stages on this weekend, and ten-time champions Al-Athli of Egypt are in a tight spot. After a 5-2 loss to Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa, they're third in Group C on four points, five adrift of second-placed Al-Hilal of Sudan, who are on nine points. So are we going to see a shock group stage exit for Al-Athli, Ida? Well, Steve, this does feel like something similar that many said last season as well. Only for Al-Ali to get all the way to the final. Now, their group stage then, it also wasn't the best. And just like this one, they came second best to the Sundowns. You see, the thing about situations like these is that the team's fate is totally out of their hands. In this situation, for example, Al-Ali must now win their remaining two group stage games and then hope that the very same sundowns do them a favor and beat Al-Hilal in Sudan. So little to nothing is in their control. And I know things look tricky for them, I think even more so this season than last. But Steve, these are Champions League specialists, and I wouldn't be too surprised if they pull a rabbit out of the hat. I mean, what Madrid is to the UEFA Champions League, for example is what Al-Ali is to the CAF edition. So in very much the same way, I wouldn't discount the Egyptians. Yeah, there's still a chance they might make it through to the quarterfinals. Well, in other African football news, Morocco have come into the picture as possible co-hosts for the 2030 FIFA World Cup. Uh, Spain and Portugal are looking at Morocco as a possible replacement for Ukraine in their joint bid. Intriguing story, this. What do we know about this, Ida? Well, Steve, it's a sixth bid overall from Morocco to host the World Cup. It bid unsuccessfully in 1994, in 98, 2006, 2010, of course, where it lost out to South Africa. That was a big one for sub-Saharan Africa. And it also bid for 2026. Now, after failing with the 2026 edition... Morocco declared that it would bid for the 2030 World Cup, and this was all the way back in 2018. And so here we are. It might not have gone according to plan, though, because Morocco seemingly came in at the tail end there. 
See, the bid initially was a joint candidacy between Spain and Portugal, something they announced in 2021. Then in October 2022, they brought on Ukraine. Now, this might have strictly been for political solidarity because it was quite impractical, to be honest, since Ukraine was already deep in the throes of war and a war that didn't look to end soon. Steve, it said that Morocco had been in talks with the Iberian countries that entire time, you know, the Spains, France and Portugal, etc., but that they chose to go with Ukraine. Not to get sidetracked with this particular discussion, but I think it's prudent to point out that this didn't make much sense, at least logistically. In contrast to the longer distance between Ukraine and Spain, for example, Morocco is separated from Spain only by the Strait of Gibraltar. So it was an impractical choice to go with Ukraine. But look, as we've said, it could entirely have been for political solidarity, knowing full well that they would eventually go with Morocco. I mean, we might never know. Overall, it's perfect timing, Steve, and something that might just work out for everyone involved. I mean, why not strike while the iron is hot? Morocco made history at the World Cup last year. It's still so fresh. The first African and first Arab country to ever reach a World Cup semi-final. So why not add to that by becoming the first North African country to host the World Cup? I mean, they've certainly been gearing up. <laughs> the infrastructure is the talk of town and they've hosted the last FIFA Club World Cup amongst many other competitions. Yeah, so how might this work then, uh, Ida? Right, the optics would look very good for FIFA. You know, this would be amazing PR. And frankly, Steve, it's a script that would read like nothing before. The first World Cup to bring together Africa and Europe the northern and southern Mediterranean, as well as the African, Arab, and Euro-Mediterranean worlds. I mean, as Morocco's sports minister, Shakib Ben Mounsa said in the unveiling, unprecedented. Well, joint hosting is nothing new, and especially now with the expansion of the World Cup from 32 to 48 teams, it really might be the only way to go. I mean, the matches as well have gone up from 64 to a whopping 104. I mean, not even the earlier assumed 80. But yes, 2002, well, that saw Japan and South Korea share it, and 24 years later... The United States, Mexico, and Canada will do it together. And even with the 2030 World Cup, Steve, this will not be the only transcontinental bid. Greece, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt have a joint bid they hope can give some level of competition. And separately, in South America, Uruguay, Argentina, Paraguay, and Chile will hope to make it a one-continent affair. This is the very same Uruguay, let's not forget, where the first World Cup was played back in 1930 and won by the host country. So, you know, quite a bit of historical sentiment there that stakeholders on that side will no doubt use to try and help sway the decision that way. Yeah, well, thanks, Ida. We'll certainly be uh, following this story here on Planet Sport Football Africa, show brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League and the expanded FIFA World Cup.
You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv. There you can read our blog, Are We Expecting Too Much of the VAR? It's a hot topic, this one. You can read that on our website, planetsport.tv, and you look for the blog section there. Let's go to social media now. Last week we asked, what do you think about Mohamed Salah's goal-scoring record? As Salah broke the Liverpool English Premier League goal-scoring record with two strikes in the red 7-0 win over Manchester United. He now has 129 goals, breaking the Premier League record of club legend Robbie Fowler. So we ask, what do you think about Salah's achievement? We start in Egypt, and Mona Y. Zayat says, We love you, Mohammed, our legend. In Egypt, all of us respect you. Mohamed Yusuf says congratulations. He's a very important player since he joined Liverpool. And Thiago in Kenya says I think this guy should stay at the club for a longer period so that he can set a record that won't be broken any time soon. Belong Badji in the Gambia says Salah's not the greatest ever, but he's good at what he does. That's why he's counted among the best players with his speed, his dribbling skills, and above all, his accuracy in front of goal. So it's a well-deserved achievement, says Belong. Egedi Egesman Kingsley says Salah might end up becoming the all-time top goal scorer in all competitions for Liverpool. Uh, but responding to that one on Facebook, Samuel Mwango says, uh, uh, Have you seen the gap between Salah and Ian Rush? He can't break that record. Yeah, that was interesting. Ian Rush has 346 goals for Liverpool in all competitions. Uh, Salah on 178th. He's the seventh highest overall for Liverpool. Remember, the Premier League started back in 1992. So Salah is the uh, top goal scorer in English Premier League history. Uh, then Kwasi Akomea in Ghana says Salah is a legend. And finally, Sideko Suno in the Gambia says, Congratulations, he's a true legend of Liverpool's football. We're proud of you, Africa's king, says Sideko. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. Always great to hear from you here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK now. And in the English Premier League this weekend, the leaders Arsenal play Crystal Palace on Sunday. Also, we have the FA Cup quarterfinals on this weekend. For Liverpool, it's been a tough week, unable to produce a miracle against Real Madrid, so exiting the UEFA Champions League, and that coming after a shock defeat to Bournemouth in the English Premier League last weekend. Uh, so we talked about their revival with that thumping win over at Manchester United. Stuart, uh, is the revival stalled for now? Is it really only a week, Steve, since we're talking about a Liverpool revival, the 7-0 annihilation of Manchester United, and Mo Salah as the greatest ever Liverpool goalscorer? Then six days later, Liverpool go to Bournemouth, absolute bottom of the Premier League, and Liverpool lose 1-0. And to make matters worse, Mo Salah shoots wide with the penalty, and well wide at that. A week, it seems, is a long time in football. I mean, to be fair, Bournemouth were good value for the win. And their 21-year-old January signing, Dengo Watara from Burkina Faso, had another excellent game. He looks a really good acquisition for them. But what a contrast between the two league games this season, between Liverpool and Bournemouth. In August, 
Bournemouth went to Liverpool and lost 9-0. Yes, 9-0. Six months later, Bournemouth beat Liverpool. And I find a strange statistic, Steve. In the 2021 season, Liverpool beat Crystal Palace 7-0. Then in their next home games, they lost six, drew two and won none. So perhaps winning 7-0 just doesn't suit Liverpool. The top two both won. Manchester City, though, needed a late penalty from Erling Haaland to secure a 1-0 win over Crystal Palace. Arsenal went to 7th place Fulham, potentially a tricky game, but won convincingly 3-0. And great to see Gabriel Jesus come on as a substitute. The first game he's had since getting injured at the World Cup. Now, when Arsenal signed Leandro Trossard from Brighton, one wondered just quite where he would fit in, given that Arsenal already had uh, Saka and Martinelli, two brilliant wingers. But he's he's been a superb addition to the squad. And Steve, I know you love this one. At the weekend, in that 3-0 win over Fulham, Trossard became the first player to have three assists before half-time in a Premier League history. And incidentally, should the Gunners go all the way this season, Mikel Arteta will become the first person to manage a championship-winning team that he also played for, since George Graham did it, also for Arsenal, in 1991. Now, the bottom of the table is as tight as ever. Nine clubs separated by five points. Realistically, all nine clubs are still in relegation trouble. Bournemouth and Everton won. West Ham, Southampton and Leeds all drew. It's easy to pick teams in the bottom four as relegation favourites. And I mean, Southampton lost midweek as well. But I worry, I worry about Leicester City, who've lost their last four games, the worst run since 2014. And Crystal Palace, who have played 10 league games this year and have not won any of them. As you say, this coming weekend, there's a reduced programme because of the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. But Wolves against Leeds is the intriguing game at the bottom of the table. And with Leicester City going to Brentford, Southampton at home to Tottenham, and Crystal Palace away to Arsenal, it's hard to see any of those getting points. So with 11 games to go, I just cannot remember a time when so many clubs are still in relegation trouble. Yes, uh, going to be quite a, a run in there, isn't it, uh, with a relegation battle. Uh, what else have you got for us from the uh, English Premier League, Stuart? Well, Mo Salah missed a penalty. And he's not the only African to miss a penalty because Andre Ayew also missed one for Nottingham Forest. On the positive side, side Ben Rahman scored a penalty for West Ham. But, Steve, it gets better because Ayew and Salah happened to be the first two left-footed penalty takers to miss on the same day since 2016. And since you asked, that was Leighton James for Everton, Riyad Mahrez for Leicester City. And I think we can confidently say that this was the first time the two left-footed African players ever missed penalties on the same Premier League afternoon. Now, Casemiro was shown a red card, direct red card, playing for Manchester United against Southampton. And this is his second red card in 19 games for Manchester United. 
and it leaves his manager Eric Ten Hag bemused. Ten Hag pointed out that Casemiro played 336 games for Real Madrid without ever getting a straight red card. Two dismissals in Spain, both for two yellows. The one on Saturday certainly looked a bit harsh. He played the ball before making contact with an opponent. It was originally judged as yellow by the on-field referee, but he was then instructed to check it on the monitor. Now, Ten Hag always strikes me as a calm and reasonable individual, and he said his concern about the red card was the inconsistency. And he referred to an incident the previous day in the Leicester City-Chelsea game and said that it was a similar tackle. VAR did not intervene, but VAR did intervene in the Manchester United game. And he added that United could have had two penalties in the game, but VAR didn't ask the referee to check either of those. So that's what he means about inconsistency. And the incident he referred to in the Leicester-Chelsea game was Pereira of Leicester, who got a yellow card for a very similar tackle to Casemiro's. And a further irony, if you're looking for conspiracy theories, is the referee who on the Saturday gave Pereira the yellow card was Andre Mariner. And he was the VAR official on the Sunday who recommended the red card for Casemiro. Was Mariner perhaps correcting a previous error? Hmm. Steve, you'll probably remember the antics of the Argentinian and Aston Villa goalkeeper Emiliano Martinez during penalty shootouts in the last World Cup. He got a yellow card for delaying tactics. I mean, he did things like kick the ball away and once he came out and knocked the ball off the penalty spot just to waste time. Well, we understand that FIFA are now instructing referees to issue an immediate yellow card to a goalkeeper for delaying tactics and to give the goalkeeper a warning that a repeat performance will result in a second yellow and take the goalkeeper out of the shootout. Wow, interesting. And um, at the FIFA Congress uh, in Rwanda this week, uh, we talked already about Gianni Infantino being re-elected unopposed as the FIFA president. Uh, One thing that also came out of that, which I think probably wasn't a surprise, uh, uh, there was talk about the expanded 48-team World Cup uh, being played with groups of three, but uh, it will indeed stay in the format of a four-team groups, although that will mean a lot more games, Stuart, as you'd highlighted before on the show. Yes, FIFA has confirmed what a lot of people dreaded, that the 2026 World Cup will be the most complicated ever. Not only is the World Cup spread over three countries, and three large countries at that, USA, Mexico and Canada, but it will have 40 more games than Qatar. Yes, 40 more games. The expansion of the World Cup from 32 to 48 is great news for Africa in the sense that four and possibly five additional African countries will play in the World Cup finals. But I think it's bad news for the competition. As you say, FIFA has dropped the initial plan to have 16 groups of three. The inherent problem there is when the final game is played, the two teams in it know exactly what they have to do to qualify. And you can have a connived result, really. Uh, Going back to 1982, Germany and Austria appeared to agree that Germany would win the game 1-0, both would qualify and Algeria would be eliminated on goal difference. So in 2026, we will have 12 groups of four. The 12 countries finishing bottom of the group, plus the worst 
four third place teams will be eliminated. But that means we will have played 72 games and we will only have reduced 48 to 32. Then we will have four rounds of knockout cup to decide which teams play in the final. Steve, I love football as much as anyone, but I am going to be bored long before the 72nd game of the qualifying stage is over. It's a stage for quite literally it's harder not to qualify for the knockout stage than to do so. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for that, Stuart. Uh, I'll give your thoughts on this on social media this week. The newly re-elected FIFA president, Gianni Infantino, says there's a need for way more football after his re-election on Thursday. There'll be an expanded 2026 FIFA World Cup uh, with all of those games, as Stuart was highlighting, a new 32-team club World Cup, uh, plus the under-17 boys and girls World Cups will be played every year now. Well, player unions and UEFA say there's already too much football, but on the other hand, national teams and clubs from some countries will have a much better chance now of qualifying for tournaments where there are more slots. So what do you think? Do we need more football? You can go to our Facebook page and post a comment there. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us eight WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Do we need more football? But that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare and from Ida Wairinga and from Stuart Weir, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.